Make Walters your spot for this NFL season. All indoor TVs are preset and are first come, first serve. They're proud to show every NFL game every week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Base in over the head of the leaping second baseman Terang and into right center. Here comes Keeble to score. Vargas on his way to second, diving in. He loads the tag. He's in with a double and a run batted in. And it's the Nationals three and the Brewers nothing. Irvin to the belt, kicks and delivers. And the pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep left center field. Way back, going, going, and long gone. Over the Brewers' bullpen. This game is all even. It's the Nationals three and the Brewers three. Irvin's into his windup. The kick and the pitch. Swung on, hit in the air to deep right field. Thomas going back, way back at the wall, and it's gone. Carlos Santana with his 20th home run of the year. And the Brewers have hit back-to-back home runs here in the bottom of the fifth inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, September 16th. 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at American Family Field in Milwaukee. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats now are just 4-14 and over their last 18 games. The uh, September swoon continued on Friday night, a 5-3 loss at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers in Game 1 of a three-game series. And in a game in which the Nats blew a 3-0 fifth-inning lead, the Nats for this season now 65-83. and This Nats Chat episode is brought to us by the Ump's Care Charities East Coast Golf Classic, which is taking place on Monday, October 16th at the beautiful Westfields Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia, with former umpire Sam Holbrook as the honorary guest. Visit umpscare.com for more information. Mark, the Nats have just 14 games left in this regular season, would have to go at least eight and six to avoid a 90-loss season. They, on Friday night, scored three runs in the top of the first, then got shut out for the rest of the game. They got to tell you, watching the top of the ninth, seeing the Nats go one, two, three with three swinging strikeouts, that felt like the perfect snapshot of what's happening with the Nats right now. Yeah, agreed. It was like they had no chance. It was funny that they announced in the press box that Kyle Finnegan was starting to warm in the bullpen. And, you know, I get why you do that, because what if you do rally to tie the game and uh, or take the lead and force the bottom of the ninth? You need to have your closer ready. But deep down, how many people truly believe that that was going to be the case? Those three hitters looked overmatched against 
Devin Williams, you know, one of the better closers in the game. And man, from what they showed in the first inning against Wade Miley to what they showed the rest of the night, it was night and day. And they really never, after that first inning, looked like they had anything going at the plate. And I think that more than anything was frustrating because it looked like they had this guy on the ropes and they might knock him out early and get to the Brewers' bullpen early. And instead, it just turns into another one of these nights where you get to the end and you say, where's the offense? There's just not a whole lot there. It's funny you mentioned Kyle Finnegan. So this episode of the podcast is for Saturday, September 16th. His last appearance in a game was Saturday, September 9th. He has gone a full week without pitching in a game, which tells you where the Nats are right now in terms of needing their uh, closer slash ace reliever in a game. Yeah, three runs for the Nats in the first inning. That was all of the scoring that we got from the Nats in this game. 634 Nationals runs this season. 92 of the 634 have been first inning runs. 14.5%. So Wade Miley in this game ultimately allowed three runs in five and two-thirds innings. He is a fascinating pitcher to watch. He, of course, is a veteran. He works at like warp speed. He works like he's double parked, like the guy's in a rush to get out of there. And, you know, that in combination with the pitch clock can make for some fast paced games when Wade Wiley pitches. But that is something different. I actually think it's something that younger pitchers could take from. I know pitching quickly maybe isn't for everyone. But I tell you, I would think for a lot of guys, it gets you in rhythm. It keeps batters off in terms of timing. That is something to watch. Wade Miley, the way that he works, the pace with which he works. Ray Miller, the great former pitching coach and manager of the Orioles and pitching coach of the Pirates, his mantra was work fast, throw strikes, change speeds. That's uh, Wade Miley in a nutshell. And you're right. Others should learn how to do that or more specifically how, as a pitcher, you can control the pace of the game. That can be fast. You can also slow it down. And you saw a weird situation we can get into if you want with Lane Thomas at the plate where there was a whole lot of confusion about what happened. But before we even get to that one, just in general, I mean, he takes the ball and umpire signals, okay, start the clock at 15. He's releasing the next pitch at like the 12 second mark. And your job as a hitter, especially with these new rules, is you have to understand what you can do and what you can't do. Just because he has the ball and he's ready to go does not mean that you have to be in the box and ready yet. You have until the eight second mark to get yourself set in the box and looking at the pitcher ready to go. And not enough hitters, I don't think, understand that. And they get trapped and they're now allowing the pitcher to dictate the pace, especially for a lineup that we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, has made some really quick outs. They've let some pitchers go deep in games with very low pitch counts. They are letting the pitchers control the pace. They need to take that back for themselves. Understand when you can step out, Use your timeout that you're allotted for each at-bat. Try to work that bat. You don't have to swing at the first pitch unless it's right where you want it to be. And what's funny is they were doing all those things well in the first inning, and it's like they forgot after that how to do it. And the rest of the night, they looked lost up there. They did. You know, pace is such an interesting thing in sports. It's become a really big deal in the NBA, playing with pace and also space. Golden State Warriors have really become masters of that. You're about playing with pace in the NFL, going no huddle, playing with pace in hockey, up and down the ice. You can play with pace in baseball. You as a pitcher can dictate pace. And I wonder why more teams don't try to have 
especially younger pitchers, do that. We have the Nats with all of these younger pitchers. Again, working quickly may not be for everyone, but especially if you have guys who labor and work slowly and throw a lot of balls. I mean, I think about, you know, somebody like Josiah Gray. Now, he's coming off a really good outing. But sometimes I wonder, maybe that's a guy for whom working with pace could be something that could help him. Or, you know, I don't know, Mackenzie Gore or something like that. Because sometimes I think there is something to like, the less you're thinking about, the better. And instead of overthinking everything, just go out there and do your thing and work quickly and don't overanalyze everything. And you can get yourself into a rhythm and maybe something works for you in that regard. Yeah, just play pitch and catch with your catcher back there. Don't, you know, take it back, get on the mound, get ready to throw the next one. And yeah, if you are the one controlling the pace and, you know, you still have the opportunity on any given moment to take a step back and take your time and throw the hitter's timing off. But more often than not, you got hitters who want to take a moment to think, okay, what did he just throw me? Okay, what might he throw next? What should I look for? Instead, you get back on the mound, you're ready to go. They don't have time to contemplate all those things. All they can do is to react to what you're throwing. So, Yeah, I think absolutely pitchers need to understand that they have the ball in their hands. They can control what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And Wade Miley is a good example of uh, of how to do that. Now, you want the explanation for what happened with Lane Thomas? Yeah, so Davey, after the game, essentially said there was, what, uh, just confusion with what went down. So the confusion was about what exactly? Okay, so watching it live, what it seemed like had happened is that Brian O'Nor, the plate umpire, was calling Wade Miley for quick pitching, is what I thought it was, where essentially starting his windup before Thomas was fully set in the box, which as we've said, you have till the eight second mark to do that. And we saw this a little bit in spring training. I think it was Max Scherzer trying to do it to the Nats. And everybody realized, okay, we need to take a look at this part of the pitch clock rule and make sure that pitchers cannot take advantage of that and give the hitter enough time to get set in the box before they throw the pitch. So he called an automatic ball on Miley for what we thought was that, and it's all of a sudden a 2-1 count becomes a 3-1 count. Then Craig Council comes out to have a discussion. The umpires huddle up. They decide, no, that's not quite right. He goes and explains it to Lane and then to Davey Martinez. So here's what actually happened, and I didn't pick up on it, and I don't know on the broadcast if they had a better sense of what was going on. Thomas is in the box ready to go. And Miley's on the mound. And then Miley steps off the rubber with something like 10 or 9 seconds left on the clock. And because he saw the pitcher step off the rubber, Lane Thomas steps out of the box. He figures, okay, it's like the pitcher calling time and we're, we're going to reset ourselves here. Well, no, because technically speaking, if there's enough time left on the clock, a pitcher can do that, nobody on base, step off the mound, and then get back on the mound and go ahead and deliver your pitch in time. And so it's actually the onus is on the hitter to stay in the box. And so by stepping out the way he did, the end result of all that was that Lane Thomas had to use up his time out for that. Miley did nothing wrong. Thomas stepped out of the box, essentially using his one and only time out. It's a weird situation. Everybody afterwards was saying they're surprised it hasn't come up yet. We haven't really seen this from anybody. And you would have thought somebody like a Max Scherzer would try to take advantage of that thing. Step off the rubber, throw the guy's timing off and then say, no, wait, I'm back on. I can throw the pitch now before you're ready for it. So I'll be interested to see it as MLB have to put out any kind of supplemental ruling on how to handle this thing. But you could tell they were all confused. Nobody really knew exactly how to handle that spot. I mean, Lane just had to stay in the box. You know, the minute you disengage, it's basically, it's a timeout on Lane. I would think a lot of pitchers might be reluctant to do that just because that could mess with them. And, you know, you maybe could have a balk 
that somehow emerges off something like that. I wonder this too, life on the line, how many batters do you think know all of the rules with the pitch clock? You know, how many batters could answer like, if this, then that, do you know all the rules of the pitch clock system? Because it can be complex. And I bet a lot of guys don't know exactly what you can and can't do and when you can and can't do things. Yeah, I agree. I think most of them just know, be in the box ready to go with eight seconds left. And that's probably the only thing that they're really focused on. And yeah, there are other things they can do. We've talked about this before. And I think hitters have gotten better over the course of the year. I've seen it more often where they use their timeout. You're entitled to one per at bat. And if you're behind in the counter, you feel like the pitcher is working you fast, call timeout. You're allowed to do it. And I think it has slowed things down a little bit and allow them to reset their mind and not let things start to rush on them. I think something I've really noticed, and you understand why it might be the case with all their young players, their heads start racing, their minds are racing, and they don't always understand, hey, yeah, there's a clock out there, but you have more time than you realize. Take a moment, take a deep breath, compose yourself and get back in there. With experience, maybe they start to understand that, but I think a lot of them are not using the timeouts that they're allotted and too often up there, like over-aggressively ready to go when they don't have to be. And that may explain in large part why we've seen so many of these games where they make quick outs and quick innings get down one, two, three, and they are not really sustaining any kind of offense. Yeah. And a few weeks ago, there was a to-do from the MLBPA wanting more time between pitches for the postseason. And MLB said no. And I was glad that MLB said that. And I think one of the reasons that MLB was right to say that was what you just outlined, that there actually are things that players could be doing to get some more time between pitches. And the onus is on them to do those things. But you know, increasing the time between pitches, like, no, I think this pitch clock system has been a big time success for MLB. You don't have to mess with that. Don't go backwards now and say, well, let's make more time between pitches come the postseason. I think the way it has been is just fine. There just needs to be perhaps some more adjusting on the part of batters. Yeah. And look, we're in mid-September now, and we really aren't talking about this stuff hardly ever. So as big a story as it was in spring training in the beginning of the season, it has become mostly a non-factor where it does not come up. You see the occasional violation on either the pitcher or the hitter. But I think that fear everyone had is, oh, this is going to cost somebody a game in the ninth inning. A, a pitcher is going to be in a big spot and get called for ball four with the bases loaded and it cost them a game. No, it's not happening. They've all adjusted. I think most hoped they would, but they really have to the extent now that we very rarely talk about this stuff anymore. Yeah. And even if it did happen, like let's say at some point over the next few weeks that does happen, okay, fine. Like I think we'll all live and I think the system has worked. I think MOB Commissioner Rob Manfred deserve a lot of credit for this. I think this has been really good for MOB. This That Chat episode is brought to you by Ump's Care Charities East Coast Golf Tournament hosted by MLB umpires Brendan Miller and Chris Siegel. Monday, October 16th at Westfield's Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia with special guest Sam Holbrook. Retired MLB umpire who worked the 2019 World Series when, of course, the Nats won it all. Register now on our website, give.umpscare.com, for more information. Proceeds support the delivery of 100 Build-A-Bear furry friends to kids at Children's National Hospital in D.C. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, 
Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's Chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfis. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, now, chat. There's a sporting event going on today in D.C. you might not know about, and the Game Time app could be your spot to find a last-second ticket. Howard takes on Hampton at Audi Field, kickoff at 3.30 in the Truth and Service Classic. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And listeners, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Friday evening in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Cruz went one for four while hitting second and playing left field, drew a walk, struck out twice, average at double A, sits at 188. The near daily outfield shuffle continues in Harrisburg. James Wood in right, Andrew Pickney in center, Robert Hassel the third, DH. The Senators edge the Bay Sox five to four. Now back to Mark and Al. The left-hander rocks, kicks, and deals. Swing and a long drive. Deep down the left field line. Troubled if it's fair. And this ball is gone. Goodbye. A fair ball inside the foul pole. Bang! Zoom goes Lane Thomas with his 25th home run of the year. And the Nationals use the long ball to take an early lead in the top of the first inning. It's Washington 1 and Milwaukee nothing. Three runs in the top of the first for the Nats on Friday night, and then nothing the rest of the game. The Nats for the game, six hits and two walks. The Nats in that three-run first had four of the team's six hits in the game. It was an impressive three-run first inning. You had a one-out solo home run by Lane Thomas. You then got a double from Joey Manessis. You then got a two-out RBI double by Carter Keyboom, and then another two-out RBI double. This one by Ildemaro Vargas. Three extra base hits for the Nats in this inning. With Lane Thomas, so 
He homers once again. It's something he has been doing with pretty good frequency here lately. Uh, Lane Thomas in this game on Friday night as an ad-starting right fielder and number two batter, one for four with that solo home run. He has 25 home runs on the season. It wasn't that long ago that we wondered legitimately, would any Nationals player reach 20 home runs on the year? Well, Lane is at 25. I guess he has an outside shot at 30. I mean, it's unlikely with 14 games left in the season. But all things with Lane Thomas that we've talked about, this is a nice power-producing season, certainly from a home run standpoint, to get to 25 home runs on the season. And remember, he had zero on May 1st. He went the entire first month of the season without one. So that's a really nice pace he's had ever since then. Yeah, he has quietly just put together a solid year in every aspect. The outfield assists, leading the league in that, 25 or more homers, whatever he ends up with, can steal some bases, drive in some runs. Is he a perfect player? No, there are things he can do to get better. He's still a little bit streaky at time to time, both in good and bad ways. But all things considered, you can't be anything but pleased with what Lane Thomas has shown them this year. And that that first inning <laughs> was crazy. So on Thursday in Pittsburgh, they have two hits in the game. One was a bunt and one was a little bloop single. In this game, they have four extra base hits in the first inning alone. And then nothing, of course, after all that. And it was just bizarre how that played out. But it, I got to ask you because, you know, when you saw this lineup and you've got Keeboom hitting five and Vargas hitting sixth, what are you thinking about their chances in this game? Oh, yeah. I shook my head at the lineup. I mean, this was another, you know, Alex Call specialty, another Ildemaro Vargas specialty. But you know what? To Davey Martinez's credit, the starting designated hitter on Friday night and number five batter, Carter Keeboom, two for three with an RBI double, a single and a walk. And Call had a double and Vargas had an RBI double. So you can't hammer Davey too hard for the lineup. I mean, I think bigger picture, you know, do we need to be seeing Alex Call anymore? Do we need to be seeing Ildemaro Vargas anymore? I don't think so, but those guys did come through to various uh, extents in the game. You know, it's funny you bring up what happened on uh, Thursday afternoon in that game at Pittsburgh. So C.J. Abrams had one of the Nats' two hits. First pitch of the game gets a single, then gets picked off at second base. What happened on Friday night? Joey Manessis. So he was the Nats' starting first baseman and number three batter, one for three with a double and a walk. Top of the third, a one-out walk, but then seconds later, picked off at first base for the second out. What is the deal with Nats players getting picked off on the bases this season? This really has become aggravating. It's 16 of them now. It's tied for most of the National League, two behind the Major League lead, and they are just giving away way too many outs on the bases between pickoffs, trying to take extra bases that aren't there for them, and there's no excuse for it. Joey Manessis isn't going anywhere. He's not stealing a base in that spot or in any spot, so do not even allow yourself to be in that position. Not that it makes it any better if it's a C.J. Abrams or Lane Thomas or Jacob Young who gets picked off because they all count the same in the end. But at least with those guys, there's the thought, well, they're trying to get an aggressive lead and maybe get themselves in position to take an extra base. But Joey Manessis is not doing that. That's not what his game is. So no real excuse for that. It has become a recurring problem. I'm sure the obvious question people ask, because I got the question on, on Twitter, is what does it say about Eric Young Jr., their first base coach, who's in charge of their base running, and specifically, you know, calling that to the runner to get back on a pickoff attempt. I don't know. I never know how much credit to give those guys when things go well. Like, are we crediting him for C.J. Abrams' great season of stealing bases? If we are, then you got to credit him for that and then criticize him for the pickoffs. I will just say that we've talked a lot about changes that have come across the whole organization. 
scouting departments and front office changes. The thing we have not learned yet, we know Davey Martinez is back. We don't know for sure about his coaching staff and if there might be any changes that can be made there. And that would be one that you would at least be interested to see what they would do. I think for most people, you watch baseball, you follow baseball, a guy getting picked off is supposed to be a pretty rare occurrence, not something that you see that often. And watching Nats games, it feels like you see it almost once a game. Now, I know it's not that frequent, but it feels that way. Certainly outs on base paths feel that way. Like at least once a game, someone is making it out on a base path in some way. And that's just not something this team can afford, of course, with the lack of home run hitting. The real shame for the Nats in this 5-3 loss at the Brewers on Friday night was what happened with the national starting pitcher in the game, Jake Irvin. He's been such a pleasure to watch lately. As I've said, I think he's been the Nats' best pitcher going back three months now. Irvin on Friday night finished with a final line of four runs in four and two-thirds innings. But boy, does that not tell the story of his outing. Irvin in this game threw four and two-thirds scoreless innings. But he then gave up back-to-back home runs to the final two batters he faced. He, in a four-run Brewers fifth, gave up a two-out first pitch, three-run homer by William Contreras on a moonshot to left center field to tie the game at three. That homer by Contreras when it projected 456 feet per stat cast. And then Irvin gave up a two-out full count solo homer by Carlos Santana to right field for a 4-3 Brewers lead. And then Irvin got pulled from the game And so the entire complexion of this outing changed. He went from having allowed no runs in four and two-thirds innings to having allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Only gave up three hits, but two of the three hits were the homers, also gave up a single. Now, he did issue a whopping five walks, so that has to be read into the record. But he also had six strikeouts. Now, the walks and the strikeouts combined to drive up the pitch count 102 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings, 58 strikes versus 44 balls. But boy, I hated to see this with Jake Irvin. This was looking like another really good outing. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't a good outing and the outing was over. I was about ready to tweet that Jake Irvin now had the lowest ERA among any of the starters in the Nationals rotation because he did, for a moment there, get ahead of uh, Josiah Gray. He was down to 405. And if he somehow got it under four, I was going to make a big deal out of that. And before I could even say it, all of a sudden, the ERA skyrocketed back up because of the back-to-back homer. So it was very disappointing and, and really changed the entire complexion, I think, of that start. But what I will say is this. In those first four innings, it's all zeros. It's only one hit allowed. But this felt a little bit like those Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore starts where they're posting zeros, but they are pitching their way out of trouble to get there, and the pitch count is high. That was the case this one. He's walking hitters. He's getting out of it to his credit, but he gets through the fourth on 71 pitches. How often do you see a guy with four scoreless, one-hit innings on 71 pitches? That is a huge number. Should not be anywhere close to that. It should be in the 50s or maybe in the 40s if you've been that good those first four. So it felt like he takes the mound for the fifth and they're already a little bit worried. Like, is this going to be his last inning? How much farther does he have? Now, leadoff walk already puts him in trouble. He gets two strikeouts, okay, but the lineup turns over. He's now facing him a third time. Could not put away Christian Yelich. He was one strike away from getting out of the inning, but he walks him, and now you get a mound visit from Jim Hickey, and the very next pitch is that Contreras bomb to left center, and then before they could even have anybody warming up and ready to go, gives up the second home run. So, yeah, he pitched a lot better than that final line showed, 
But I think this also shows you how far a young pitcher still has to go. You've got to finish that inning out. You've got to learn how to minimize the damage and understand that, yeah, you may be putting up zeros along the way, but you're kind of asking for trouble because the pitch count is so high, because you're walking batters and prolonging these at-bats. I can't say I was shocked by it. It's disappointing, but I can't say I was shocked by the way that went. So, like I said earlier, 14 games left for the Nats in this regular season. Are you hearing anything on Irvin being shut down? I mean, in theory, if he was going to be shut down, it would happen sometime soon. Do you think we're on the doorstep of that happening or maybe not? So, I asked Davey Martinez about that pregame before you know we knew how he was going to do in this game. And he said they've been looking at everything, both the performance, the workload, how he says he feels, and yes, the biomechanics. They look at all this stuff, and they look for signs of a guy being fatigued. And he said all the numbers, everything indicates that he's actually getting stronger here at the end of the season. And they've been very encouraged by that, even though deep down they were worried, hey, we might need to shut him down. We need to watch his innings. I think the sense, at least going into this start, was unless something bad happens, we might just let him finish this thing out. Because the idea is, as long as he's healthy, the more innings he throws this year, the more innings he can throw next year because he's got a a better base to start with to now expand on for next year. So things can still happen. Certainly don't think they're shutting him down after this one. There was no indication that he was fatigued or that, you know, what happened in that fifth inning was him being out of gas in a bigger sense that, you know, he looks cooked or done for the season. I don't think it's that. So he's making at least one more. And barring a change in all those numbers and data that they're gathering on him, I think they're comfortable letting him continue to go. The Nats bullpen did have a really good series in the uh, Nats losing three or four games at the Pittsburgh Pirates this week. The bullpen overall on Friday night in this 5-3 loss at the Brewers did a good job. Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three into third innings with four strikeouts. So Robert Garcia faced one batter, got one out. Andres Machado, a scoreless bottom of the sixth with two swinging strikeouts. Jordan Weems, a perfect bottom of the seventh. The guy who gave something up uh, was the, in theory, best reliever who the Nats used in this game, Hunter Harvey. He, in the bottom of the eighth, gave up a leadoff home run by Carlos Santana to right field for a 5-3 Brewers lead. What was the Nats' major league worst 85th home run allowed in terms of relief pitching home runs this season? Harvey also gave up a couple of singles, but did generate two swinging strikeouts and did pick off pinch runner Joey Weimer at first base for the second out. So the Brewers did get someone picked off as well. We have seen Harvey and Kyle Finnegan stumble a bit here down the stretch of the season. Now, like we said earlier, Finnegan hasn't pitched in a while, so he should be well rested the next time that he does pitch. But uh, do you think we are seeing a fatigued Harvey? Now, he missed time due to injury, so he shouldn't be that worn down. But of course, given his injury history, perhaps there is a wearing down that uh, is in effect here. Yeah, I mean, the stuff is still really good. The home run came on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. It was a little surprising to see him struggle to that extent because we have not seen a lot of that from him. But I think for the most part, it's fine. I think this is just a, a bad outing by him. And Finnegan, you definitely saw some bumpy outings there for him more recently. We don't know how he's going to look the next time he takes the mound of it. I mean, that's crazy. He hasn't gone in a week. Think of all those times in July and August where you're like, man, I can't believe Finnegan's going to pitch again. They're using them so much. It does show you the ebbs and flows of this. And you can manage it as much as you want. But the game situations ultimately determine bullpen usage. And if you're in every game and every game is close late, you're going to use your best guys. If you're not in every game and all of a sudden you go through a whole week where you're not in a position to win, you're probably not going to be using them very much. 
Yeah, and sometimes a good reliever will not pitch for a while, but that's a little misleading because you've had like multiple off days in the week. The Nats have not had an off day in a while here and don't have an off day coming, at least a scheduled one, until uh, Monday, September 25th. So yeah, I mean, this is a legitimate, he has not pitched in a week. And, you know, who knows what will happen in the game on Saturday. While we're talking Nats bullpen, Tanner Rainey. So he's made a bunch of rehab appearances. Again, the season is winding down. The thinking was that he would make his uh, season debut at some point in September. Uh, September is now half over. Are we going to see Tanner Rainey this season? It's no longer a guarantee. I, I still think it's more likely than not. But the word from Davey pregame on this was, first of all, he feels great. The elbow is fine. There's no injury kind of concern at all with him. He's made 12 rehab appearances over more than a month now, which is a lot. Now, he's coming back from a major injury and hasn't pitched competitively in over a year. So you can understand they want to bring him along slowly and all that. But the thought was, well, by now he should be good to go. The issue appears to be that mechanically he's not feeling like he's 100% there. The results have been pretty good for the most part, especially here recently at AAA. But results don't necessarily match up with how you look and how you feel. And he admits himself, I guess, that he hasn't felt quite like he's all the way back. The velocity has not come all the way back yet. And he is a guy who should be in the high 90s and he's not there yet. Feels like the mechanics are not consistent outing to outing. So they want him to stay down there a little while longer and keep working on this. I think they're going to bring him to DC during the next homestand, have him throw a bullpen session in front of everyone so they can get a sense themselves of where he's at and make a decision. Now, the AAA season ends on the 24th, so that's a week from Sunday. After that, there's one week to go in the big league season, and that's the only place to pitch. There's nowhere else to go. So either it happens by then, or they say to him, hey, Tanner, good job. You're healthy. Go home for the winter. We'll see you in spring training. I still feel like even if he's not 100% feeling great, as long as he's healthy and there's no concern about you know future injury, You'd like to get him in at least one or two games just for his own psyche. You know, you spend 12 plus months coming back from the surgery with a goal of making it back to the big leagues. And yeah, while it may not make that much difference in the grand scheme if it happens in September or next April, I do think psychologically going into the winter would mean something to Tanner Rainey to complete the rehab, make it back to the big leagues, and then go into the offseason and say, okay, now I need to get myself ready for next year. But we'll see. They're not going to force that. They're not going to put him out there just for the sake of it. They want to make sure that he truly is good to go and that it is worthwhile. It was August 3rd, 2022, that Tanner Rainey underwent his Tommy John. We have become so used to pitchers undergoing Tommy John surgeries that we all now sort of know the template for this. You undergo the surgery, you miss the majority of the next regular season, but usually you end up pitching late in that season. You get a taste of things again, and then it's the year after that that you really hit the ground running, right? That's kind of what happened with Steven Strasburg. You know, every situation is different, but August 3rd isn't that late into a season to where you should miss the entirety of the next season. Now, you know, the Nats know this situation better than we do, so they're not going to not pitch him for foolish reasons. Like, there would be a reason not to pitch him. But yeah, that would be disappointing, and I don't want to say alarming, but I mean, a few weeks ago, it really felt like Tanner Rainey's going to pitch in September, maybe even for the bulk of September. Now that he may not pitch at all at the major league level in September would be, I think, disappointing. Well, and I think also, certainly for him, could be disappointing. But I think even for the Nationals, you think about this, they go into the offseason and you're mapping out your plan for next year in the bullpen. You know you got Finnegan coming back. You know you have Harvey coming back. Weems has looked good. 
Mason Thompson turned into a huge question mark with his up and down season, and he's now at AAA. Are you counting on Tanner Rainey being a part of it or not? I know it's not much, but just having him come back and seeing him pitch in a big league game and maybe putting up a scoreless inning against somebody at the end of September, I think that helps at least put your mind at ease that, okay, he's fine, he's good to go. Yes, we're counting on him as part of our opening day bullpen next year. If he doesn't, it's a little bit of a concern. It doesn't mean that he won't be perfectly fine next year, but you don't have any physical evidence of it. And kind of like we talked about with Mackenzie Gore all winter, because he didn't come back to pitch for the Nats at the end of last season, it was a lingering question mark into spring training. Hey, is this guy going to be fine? Is he good to go? Is he big league ready? Turned out he was, but you'd rather not leave yourself to have to wonder about the answer to that question. You'd rather have some evidence to make you confident going into the winter. It's funny. We have seen this ascension of Jordan Weems, given the fall of Mason Thompson, him being optioned, given this uncertainty now with Tanner Rainey. You could go into next season with Weems as your number three reliever With if you're talking about Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey at the top. And you know maybe that you're eyeing Weems as your number three guy. So the uh, complexion of the bullpen can change over the course of a season. That's for sure. This Nats Chat episode brought to you by Ump's Care Charities East Coast Golf Classic, which is taking place Monday, October 16th at the beautiful Westfields Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia, with former umpire Sam Holbrook as the honorary guest. Visit umpscare.com for more information. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board, see what we can do for you. Hit up uh, Tim Shovers again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website that we invite you to check out too, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats is game two of this three-game series at the Brewers, Saturday night at 7.10. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And here's the pitch, and it's a bouncing ball right side. Right field makes it. Aruda scores. Hassel scores. Wood to third. And the Senators are on top. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.